0: in the name of god father son and holy spirit lord jesus we thank you for your word we thank you for the power of your word we ask that you would speak to us now through this word that we would receive it with hearts of faith in your name we pray amen well good morning church for those of you who were with us last week we heard jesus instructions at the end of luke chapter 9 Saying, "Once you have put your hands to the plow, not to look back." And the encouragement from us for us from the Lord Jesus was to not look back." But as we reflected last week, uh, we realized how difficult that instruction can be, how easy it is to be overwhelmed by the regrets and the shame and the struggles of the past, how easy it is to actually look back and ignore Jesus' clear instructions. Some of you were courageous enough to begin the healing journey to receive prayer uh, last Sunday. And for some, sometimes that healing, the letting go of the past and the healings, for some, it is a momentary, instant healing, rather like uh, Bunyan's Character in Pilgrim's Progress. He comes to the cross, and all of a sudden, in an instant, a backpack of all the past is thrown to the ground. And for some, that can be your experience. But for many of us, the letting go of the past, the letting go of the regret and the shame and all that we have gathered over the recent years and decades is a process. For many, it takes. God's gracious intervention and time and the help of others. It also usually requires a more compelling vision of what lies ahead. And that's what we're going to hear this morning. I want to encourage you on the journey that you're on, that God is leading you on, of letting go of the past. But this morning, Jesus paints a compelling picture for us of the kingdom of God. And that's what's required if we're going to let go of the past this compelling picture of the future a compelling vision of how to live for the king now if your purpose the purpose of your life right now is about making money is about making a name for yourself is about getting educated about raising a family then you're going to struggle to hear the vision but i want you now to turn with me to listen to God's words afresh. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 10 and reading from verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his father's field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Notice that the first requirement of this commissioning, the mission that Christ gives to the 72, the first requirement is a call to prayer. The harvest is ready, Jesus says, and it's a metaphor that God uses throughout scripture, a harvest of God bringing his people ripe into the kingdom of God. And he instructs the 72 to cry out to God, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. I want to ask a question. How central To the establishment of God's kingdom, do you think the reality of being sent is? How central to the establishment of God's kingdom do you think the command to be sent is? To be sent implies that someone, somewhere, has instructed us with the command to go. And that's what we read in this text. The 72 have been given the command by Jesus to go. Down through the scriptures, we hear of Abram, of Moses, of David, of Peter, of Paul, of God giving his marching orders to go. And if we're obedient, we find ourselves sent. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, of course, Jesus breathes on the fearful disciples and he gives them these instructions. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. John 2021. 20, so why do we find it so difficult this command to go? Last Saturday, as Kelly, Kelly mentioned, a number of us gathered to reflect on the instruction to go and share the gospel with our neighbours. And I asked that same question: Why is it we find this word evangelism and this call to go? Why do we find it so difficult? And the general consensus in the room, and there was about 18 of us gathered, the general consensus was that we feel a little bit anxious about how the message is going to be received. We can be fearful about this command to go, can't we? Would that be fair to say? We feel a little bit nervous about how the message is going to be received. And... Guess what? Jesus is very aware of that. Look at the text in verse 3. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Wolves and lambs aren't usually a good mix. The lambs don't usually come off in the better place, do they? Perhaps that's why he sends them out in pairs. But despite the danger, they go. Despite our fears, we go. In fact, we pray for more workers to be sent out into the harvest field. Now, there's not too many wolves in New Zealand, so the metaphor breakdown, perhaps uh, a wild pig is the close we can get. Uh, But the point of the metaphor is that we can't defend ourselves. The lamb cannot defend himself against the wolf. But we have one who will defend us. The 72 had one that would defend them, the good shepherd, goes wherever his lambs go. Verse 1 makes it clear that for this unique mission Jesus would be following along in every place and every town and every village the 72 were sent out and he was following along wherever they went. The side of the resurrection, the side of the ascension, the side of Pentecost, God is with us by his spirit wherever he sends us, he is with us. His promises that he will not forsake us. The good shepherd will not allow his lambs to be destroyed. So fear is one of the reasons. Another reason why we fail to go is we get comfortable. We get so comfortable in doing what we're doing, don't we? We like the life that we've created for ourselves. We like singing our songs, reading our Bible. And Jesus speaks directly into this where he says in verse 4, He says, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the roads. Of course, we, we, I, live as compulsive consumers. We gather, we accumulate, and then we leave home and we say to mum and dad, it's just a few boxes. Can we store them in the hall? And I say, yeah, sure, that's fine, Sam. I'm diverting a little bit here, but just don't tell your brothers that they can do the same. Jesus is pretty clear about his instructions to these 72 on the mission. Firstly, they won't be relying on money. They won't be taking a bag. They won't be needing anything other than what Christ gives them. It's interestingly, later in the gospel, in chapter 2, 35, Jesus advises that there is a time coming Then he's going to send out his disciples And he actually reverses what he's saying to these 72 here. In chapter 22, he says, There is a time coming when you're going to need a bag. There is a time when you're going to need money. And he actually says in chapter 22, There's a time coming when you might even need a sword. And we're in that season now. But for the 72, he advises them to take nothing because why? He is following along directly behind them. And then he says, When you arrive at your destination, Find the peacemaker of who we've already been reflecting on this morning. Find the peacemaker and announce peace onto that household. And for the peacemaker, it will remain. But if there is no peacemaker in that household, it will return to you. And then in verse 8, he says, When you enter into a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. In other words, there's a, there's a grace in receiving hospitality. Eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter into a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust on your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near you. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town." Jesus' instruction to the 72 and Jesus' instruction to the evangelists today, to you and I, is to say that there is a judgment coming. A fearful judgment that would be worse than it was for Sodom. Take the whole message of the gospel. When you share the good news, Jesus says, take the whole message of God's story. And so they go in obedience. They assent and they go. And they complete their mission with joy. They return back to Jesus. They inform him, even the demons submit to us in your name, Jesus. And Jesus enters into their joy. Luke records how Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit and in joy. He enters into their celebrations. And he gently reminds them, this is great. This is great that the kingdom has drawn near, that even the demons are submitting to you. And that doesn't surprise me because I've given you my authority, Jesus says. But he says this. What's more important is that their names are written in the book of life. That their names are written in the book of life. Is your name written in the book of life this morning? Do you know that God has recorded your name in the book of life? Right throughout scriptures, God speaks about his people being recorded in his book, the book of life. That's what Jesus is celebrating. So the mission begins with prayer. Notice how also it ends with prayer. Jesus interceding for us, praising the Father. He replied, I saw the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, "I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do the mission begins in prayer and it ends in intercessory prayer with the Lord Jesus thanking thanking the father that he has hidden these mysteries from the learned but he's revealed it to us children the simplicity of a childlike faith is the key and Jesus blesses these faithful disciples who went this gospel power is hidden for the wise and the learned. And Jesus has revealed it to the little children. The children of God who take Jesus at his word in faith and they go. As if to illustrate this, Luke then records an account between one of those learned, one of the wise ones, a lawyer. And I'm delighted that uh, this happens at this point in the text because this means that I can tell you my joke about the lawyer the lawyer and the rabbi and the priest and they were off on a mission and uh, they were heading off and they went out into the countryside and they had no place to stay. They had a, a farmhouse, but there was only two beds and so one of them had to stay in the barnyard and so the rabbi, he said, I'll go and stay in the barnyard and so he goes into the barnyard. Two minutes later, there's a knock on the door and he says, I can't stay in here. There's pigs in here. This wouldn't be kosher for me to stay so the the priest who happens to be a hindu priest he goes out and he says look i'll stay in the barn that's no problem two minutes later there's a knock at the door and it's the priest he said you know there's a cow out here i can't stay out here the lawyer he says you religious people you get so wound up about little things he says i'll go and spend the night out in the barn so he goes out to the barn two minutes later there's a knock at the door it's the cow and the pig There's no lawyers here this morning, are there? (laughs) Back to the text. That was a slight diversion. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus, and he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself you have answered correctly Jesus replied do this and you will live but he wanted to justify himself so he asked Jesus and who is my neighbor what must I do to inherit eternal life this foundational question the lawyer asked now this lawyer knew the scriptures well And so he knew that the psalmist would write in Psalm 37 that the blameless will gain an enduring inheritance. So he turns the question to Jesus, and Jesus turns it back to him. And he says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The expert of the law responds by quoting the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18, the call to love your neighbor. And so he says the following, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus is speaking here, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus would say the same to us if we asked him the question this morning. Do this and you will live. Love God with everything you've got. Love God with your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live. The trouble is, try as we might, we cannot do it. In the Anglican prayer book, the prayer of confession begins with hearing the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And every honest soul, when they confess and they read that liturgy, every honest soul knows that we struggle to love God with everything we've got. We struggle to give our whole heart to God, to love him. We struggle to love God with every aspect of our strength. We struggle to love God with every aspect of our minds, of our soul. We get consumed in selfish endeavour. Our mind so easily quick turns to the latest distraction on Facebook, Netflix, whatever it might be. And as for loving our neighbour, like the lawyer, we so easily want to justify ourselves. And so we try to work out who isn't my neighbour who is it that I don't have to love and that's exactly where the lawyer is going with his thinking and planning we quickly justify ourselves we want to define our own righteousness we want to define for ourselves what it means to be in a right relationship with God but Jesus won't let us off the hook so easily And so he tells the lawyer a story that reveals our neighbor can be the most unlikely person, the Samaritan. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength to love your neighbor, but we can't. We can't. And that's the point. You see, if you start with the law, you will quickly stumble into guilt. And the telltale sign for that is we are driven by this guilt, we busy ourselves trying to do the right thing, trying to please our neighbors, trying to please God, and we stumble and we fall and we quickly fall into guilt. And to illustrate it, Luke goes on to record this powerful encounter. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to the village where a woman named Martha opened a home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had been made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Only one thing is needed. Only one thing is needed. Do you know what that one thing is? Do you know what Mary had, the one thing that was needed? Martha thought she did. Do you know what the one thing is that will ensure you inherit eternal life? Do you know the one thing that it is that will ensure demons flee from you? Do you know the one thing that ensures that your name is book written in the Lord's book of life? Martha thought she knew. She had the gift of hospitality. She had opened up a home. She had welcomed in the Lord Jesus, and she was busying herself, making the place ready, and she was busying herself, and she was worried, and she was distracted, and she was angry. she saw her younger sister sitting around doing nothing, and she complained to Jesus, Lord, don't you care? Questioning the Lord, don't you care what's going on here? I'm doing all the work here. I'm the one that's busy doing all the service all the work don't you care well tell her to get off her backside and help me out she's now commanding the Lord Jesus what he should be doing in a few weeks time we're going to hear Jesus describe a parable about two brothers the echoes are very clear One of them comes home to the father's welcome, but the other is so busy obeying and so angry, comparing his plight to the younger brother, he sits outside the banquet. His name is not yet written in the book of life. What about you? What about you this morning? Do you know what the one thing is that's required of you? Mary shows us. Mary shows us in this text what the one thing is. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Him and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one thing. Mary has chosen what it is. It is the better, and it will not be taken from you. The one thing that Mary shows is this humble, attentive relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. A humble, attentive relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. She's sitting at his feet in humility. She has laid down her agenda she has laid down her plans she has laid down everything and she is sitting at her master's feet in perfect humility and she's listening she's attentive to the lord she's listening to his word she's listening to what jesus mission is she's listening to what jesus is saying to her heart and her soul and her mind and as she sits and as she listens like the disciples should have been sitting and listening In the previous chapter, she would be hearing about Jesus' plan to head towards Jerusalem. How he is going to be betrayed by the elders and the chief priests. How he is going to be killed, but he's going to be raised to life on the third day. And she's listening to these stories. She's listening that this man has the power to raise the dead to life again. And that's what happens in her own household. She gets to taste and experience as she's sitting at his feet. She hears these stories. And then in the weeks to come, the months to come, her own brother, Lazarus, dies. And in faith, she reaches out to the man. She knows this man has the power over death itself. And this man raises her brother to life. She's chosen the one thing. And it won't be taken away from her humble attentive relationship with the lord jesus christ is that one thing defining your life this morning is that one thing shaping your life are you sitting at the lord's feet are you allowing your plans to be governed by the lord jesus are you listening attentively to his words are you hearing what his plans are for your life are you in a humble attentive relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, because if you are, that will not be taken from you. But if you're busying yourself about anything other than your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then be careful that you don't follow the path of Martha. You see, if we start with law, if we start with religion as the lawyer did, the expert of the law If we start with doing what we think we ought to do, you will quickly and surely stumble into guilt and anger and resentment. And that cocktail is a heady cocktail. And Jesus says, choose the one thing. Choose the one thing. Be in relationship with me. Humble yourself. Humble yourself to the Lord Jesus. I often say, we either humble ourselves or the Lord God will humble us. Humble yourself before the Lord Jesus. Be attentive to his words. Be in relationship with the Lord Jesus. You see, if we start by sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his words, we will become a witness to his resurrection life. Luke chapter 10 is the commissioning of the 72. It's Jesus beginning to extend his mission. The kingdom of God has come near the lawyer comes around, the the 72 are sent out and they're rejoicing and celebrating that even the spirits are submitting to them and, and Jesus reminds them, that's great, but rejoice only that your names are written in the word of life. Jesus has commissioned us, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And Luke reminds us this morning that though, and yes, we have been called to go and proclaim the kingdom of God has come near, it begins by sitting at the Lord Jesus' feet. We need to sit at the Lord Jesus' feet. And that one thing will not be taken away from you. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your commission for reminding us again that we are a sent people, that we have been called to go and proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. We thank you that you have given us this authority. And I thank you this morning for reminding us that that commission to go begins by sitting at your feet, by humbly, attentively listening to your word, listening for your words that knowing we are first in a right relationship with you, Lord Jesus. And so I pray for myself as I pray for my brothers and sisters, that this week, as we journey through the week, Lord, that you would give us the space to humbly and attentively sit at your feet and to hear your voice. You reminded your disciples that your sheep know you and they know your voice. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to be in that close, intimate relationship that Mary so beautifully modeled, not for our own sake, but so that we are then in step with your spirit and we know it where it is that you are leading us and guiding us. And so I ask for my brothers and sisters, I ask for us as a church, Lord, that we would be in that humble, attentive relationship with you, that we might truly be obedient. And go wherever you send us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.